Hello and welcome again to another episode today of Mormon Matters Podcast, our weekly romp through all things Mormon, from current events to politics to popular culture, and maybe even a bit of spirituality thrown in, though we're not promising anything. Today, our main topic is Mitt Romney, Mormonism, and the recent coverage in both the New York Times and on ABC's Good Morning America in the good old USA. Today we have as our panelists uh, John Fowles, who is a lawyer living in London with his wife and three children. He is interested in Mormonism and Mormon blogs and has participated for several years in Mormon blogging, or as we like to say, the blogger knuckle. Welcome, John Fowles. Thank you very much. It's, it's good to have you. And you're in London, huh? That's right. <laughs> well, uh, good day, mate. Or is that Australia? Yeah. <laughs> Probably more Australian. It's okay, though. All right. Our next panelist is Tom Grover, a lifetime resident and probably a proud resident of Cache Valley, a former and current uh, Aggie from Utah State University, and the producer and co-host of 610 AM KVNU's For the People here in Logan, Cache Valley. Tom, uh, welcome to Mormon Matters. It's an honor to join you, gentlemen. Thanks, Tom. And finally, our final panelist is Ronan James Head. He is from Malvern, England, home of the Wilford Woodruff Missionary Sites. He grew up in the church and served a mission to Vienna, Austria, where he now also lives. Ronan is a scholar of the ancient Near East, currently dissertating, and a teacher of religious studies. He is married with three kids and recently taught seminary. He blogs about Mormon stuff at the mighty buycommonconsent.com. Ronan, welcome to Mormon Matters. Guten Abend. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. And I should add that Ronan is our gratuitous British accent for Mormon Matters. We can't let Andrew Sullivan and uh, Christopher Hitchens, uh, who participate in their panels, be the only ones that have uh, benefit from a British accent. So, Ronan, thanks for filling in that token British accent spot on the panel. Hopefully, I won't be as annoying as either of those two. I think they're brilliant. Okay. Well, they're smart, but they're annoying. <laughs> All right. So, uh, let's begin. Uh, our listeners uh, can go to our blog to find uh, pointers to the two most recent bits of coverage on Mitt Romney and Mormonism. Uh, it's been fun. It's been interesting. Let's just start with John Fowles. Uh, 
Uh, do you have any thoughts on either the New York Times article or the Good Morning America piece? Well, actually, I was hoping to hear a little bit from you first about um, your experience uh, with the ABC thing and, and how that was for you and what the discussion was like and what was discussed. Sure. Um, I should back up just a tiny bit. My first, you know, this has been my first introduction into sort of hard, you know, big time media. And it really began a few weeks back when the New York Times contacted Dan Witherspoon of Sunstone and asked if, if he could speak, uh, if he could put them uh, in contact with some some Mormons who represented a broad array of beliefs and ideas. And that's when the New York Times reporter uh, met with several people in Salt Lake, but also came out here to Cache Valley. She met with Tom Grover for lunch, and then later she actually came to my house. Is Lori Goodstein, right? Right, Tom? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I, I should just say at the beginning that Laura Goodstein was delightful. To have a New York Times reporter in my home was so fun. She was interesting. She was she listened very well. And um, and I was impressed at how fair she wanted to make sure and be. Anytime that I would say something that seemed to be a little bit harsh, she would always want to moderate and and strive for some type of balance, even in the conversation I was having with her. Tom, what, what was your experience with Lori? She was, uh, well, the first half of my interview was really good. Then when the, the photographer showed up and really wanted to be interviewed, but that's, uh, <laughs> that was a little bit frustrating. Um, she, she was uh, just very inquisitive about, uh, at least in my interview, about uh, how people in the Valley had reacted to Mormonism and was and I got the same feeling that she wanted to be balanced. I'm very was very impressed that she took the time to um, not only come out to Utah but also take the hour and a half trip up to up to the, up to the Cache Valley to uh, get a hands-on feel for how things were going. Yeah, and I, I don't think that actually her initial slant was to do a feature on Cache Valley. I think that that sort of naturally emerged as she did the interviews. Was that your sense, Tom? Uh, she, when I talked to her, she commented that she really felt like coming to Cache Valley was a, a, a wise choice, and she'd been very pleased with it because she she uh, she had anticipated when she came with the the balance of uh, the university being here, a state sponsored university at USU, and then uh, a strong Mormon community and agriculture community that there would be a wide range of feedback and opinions for her to uh, to to get. And listen, and she took, she she took two hours with me. She took, um, I think, just as much time with you, and also with uh, the Godfreys, which uh, I, I think is really impressive. Yeah, she spent at least two hours in my home. I, I was I was not expecting that at all. So, as far as the actual experience with the New York Times article, and John, I'm sorry you didn't ask about it, but I, I just uh, flew into it anyway. I guess uh, I, I wasn't sure she was going to use me at all. In fact, my inclination after she left was that she probably wouldn't use anything I said. But much to my surprise, within a couple of days, she called me, and something I didn't think reporters did, she actually read back to me the two paragraphs or whatever that she wrote that had anything to do with me and asked me if I felt good about it, if there's anything that I'd change. Um, and then uh, she also asked me a couple other questions just to make sure she had her stuff together. Tom, did she call you back? She didn't. I kind of wish, I mean, overall she did a great job. I wish she would have because she used the word incensed to describe my listeners, which is not a word I would have used. That's a little bit strong right. for, for that. 
but overall, I thought the article was great, and I admire the job she did with it, and the, and really the fact that she actually came out here to do it. I thought that was great. Yeah. So that that was that experience. Um, the the experience of having ABC News uh, come to my home was quite uh, nerve wracking. Uh, I guess a couple days after our New York Times article appeared, both Tom and I received. I was contacted by MSNBC's Hardball, and I was contacted by ABC News. Tom, who were you contacted by? Um, CNN and MSNBC. Yeah, and so I was just sort of, wow. I was, I was actually in Taiwan at the time. And so I started corresponding with ABC, and um, before I knew it, he was saying that he wanted to do a short piece. He said he had, he had run some ideas past uh, uh, the Nightly News, Frontline, and all sorts of different programs through all of ABC. Apparently, Mitt Romney's a really hot topic within ABC right now. And, you know, uh, it, it was actually yesterday morning that he called me and said, we want to interview you, John. And I said, okay, when? And he said, we'll have a film crew to your house by this afternoon. And so he tells me in the morning. Then he calls some video crew in Salt Lake. And by 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, he's shown up in my house in Logan. So this is Good Morning America. And so it was weird. They had me start out by doing some B-roll. So they had me and my family go out to the backyard and jump around on the trampoline and look like we're a good traditional happy Mormon family. That, <laughs> that was kind of weird to, uh, to be posing B-roll for the camera. Um, then he set up in my living room, and my, my wife was kind enough to take the kids out. And they interviewed me for about 30 minutes. And I can tell you that... It's one of the most uh, nerve-wracking, stressful things I've ever experienced. I prepared. I, I spent a lot of time that day preparing for what I might say. I was very worried that, you know, sound bites would be taken and that I'd be taken out of context. I actually recorded the entire interview, which was about a 30 minutes worth of interview, uh, and I performed horribly. I rambled like I'm doing now. Um, I totally uh, misstated things. I threw my own agenda and opinions in at times, and I was just aghast by the end. My wife was sick. I was sick. And there's a couple things that I'm really glad that he didn't put on the air uh, because they, they could have been really bad. And, you know, so um, uh, it turns out that the producer did call me later in the evening and asked if he could fact check what he was going to say about me. And I wish I would have received the call because I was very unhappy that they labeled me as, you know, a critic of the church. Because I, I, even though y'all might consider me that way, I, I try not to be that way. And I don't think anything that came off in the interview was a criticism. But it was a, it was a sleepless night for me. And it's made me wonder whether I'm ever going to do something like that again. So that's my long-winded explanation. Do you guys have any other thoughts or follow-up? On well, the, I just want to uh, ask you, John. Go ahead. Go ahead, Ronan. Oh. Yeah, on the uh, on the piece, it has you uh, saying that it, it talks about some of the um, more controversial issues which exist in the church, and it has you talking about the fact that the blacks and the priesthood issue and the kind of racist stuff surrounding that was—I forget exactly what you said—but something that, that that this would this would haunt this haunts the church and it will haunt Romney. I mean, that seemed to be like the soundbite that they really picked up on. Do you? How do you feel about that now? I mean. Would you stand by that, and would you like to explain that a bit further? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit in a dilemma here because I think there really is a, a, a time for candor and truth, and there's a time for finesse. 
And that was certainly not a comment that was about finesse. It, it was definitely a shocking, bold comment. I stand by it factually because, you know, if, if you look at Al Sharpton, what happened? Al Sharpton said that, that Mormons didn't really believe in God. Mitt Romney immediately responded, uh, um, basically denouncing Al Sharpton. Do you guys remember what Al Sharpton's immediate response back was? That he was taken out of context. No, he actually initially attacked Romney, and he said, I think the bigger question that Romney needs to worry about isn't the things I've said. It's the church's past history on blacks. And I'd like yeah, to know, say that. he'd say, I'd like to know what Romney believed about race and when he believed it. And so, you know, I, I do think that for better or for worse, whether it's fair or not, we are going to be continually dogged about this. And for me, the question is, if we do some type of formal apology, which many liberals have called for, would that really help? Um, and if we don't do some type of apology, is there some point where this just goes away, just like for Catholics, you know, the Inquisition's kind of gone away, and for the Episcopalian... Well, I mean, I don't know. It's certainly not something that comes up in a political uh, debate. But what do you guys think to my response or other things? I think, John, the the uh, hook line off of that was actually a different line. It goes the last one that you said where... Uh, you and it's a perfect line and uh, to to deal with all of this that every religion has skeletons in the closet and uh, the skeletons in the proverbial Mormon closet are simply unfamiliar to people. And that's the truth. So like that, that way, there's no need to apologize for explain away the priesthood ban on blacks, um, but at the same time, it acknowledges it as something that uh, is regretful. You know, I should just add as a little side note. The camera guy pulled me aside after the interview, and he's LDS. And you know, you, I don't know if you guys will find this interesting or not. Here's what he said to me. He said, you know what, John? We live in a politically correct world. And in this politically correct world, it's unpopular to say that God would have the capacity to curse somebody. But, it, but you know, my, my take on this whole race thing is, is that God can do whatever he wants. And if God wants to give certain races a curse and make their skin dark, that's totally God's prerogative, and, and that's how I see it. So I, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. You, you, so hold on, hold on, John. You, that's what you said to him? No, that's what the camera person said to me after he heard me interviewed. He, uh -huh. was, a, he was a local Mormon who was brought on the film crew, and that was, that was his response to my statements about race. I, I think that the great unasked question so far is something that ABC picked up on. They said... Um, that Mitt Romney was a leader of the church at the time that the priesthood ban existed. And we know, I mean, the church now tends to say, look, we don't know why the ban existed. But I can assure you that in the 1970s, if you'd have asked anybody why did, why did the ban exist, they would talk about curses of Cain and Ham and stuff like this. So I, I like Mitt Romney and I wish him well. But if someone asks him the question, you know, in, in, when you were a bishop in 1970-whatever, did you agree with the with the ban on on blacks uh, having the priesthood? I mean, he has he has said that he found it difficult, and when it was released, that he felt very happy. But someone might ask him one day, you know, did you agree with it at the time? Because that's I'd be interested to see what he says. That's a that's a great question too, Ronan. Because uh, if you look to his political statements and also his father's 
George Romney. He was quite progressive on race in ways that are irreconcilable with uh, the church policy at the time. So I think it, there a lot it becomes of, even more complicated. Frankly, I think there were probably a lot more Latter-day Saints than we um, give credit to that um, in a similar way to Romney's father and perhaps Romney himself never were square with the the ban and also the reasons behind it, but because they had sort of a deeper belief in underlying principles of the gospel, like the first vision and things like that, um, really just went along with the current. Uh, maybe some of them speaking out, maybe most of them didn't speak out. But I, I, I think it's a mistake to assume that everyone who lived in the church before 1978 was an ardent racist. I totally agree with that. Any other and thoughts? so, just just the fact that Romney—I'm not—I don't know if Romney was a bishop before 1978. I just—I don't know that about his biography. But if he was, I don't believe that that says anything about what Romney believed about black people or about the the priesthood ban. But the perception is going to be that he was complicit in the priesthood ban because he participated in leadership that was in place. And that's and, and you can make that argument inside a Mormon community, but from the outside, he's going to look complicit with the ban, which is going to be seen unquestionably as racist. Well, I agree with that. I, and I think it's an easy, you know, as much as it's cliche to say that the media just wants controversy, I mean, that is a very easy controversial thing to bring up and, and have a huge flare-up and to point out in Romney's background, and then everyone can just pile on that, and, and no one can think about Romney's qualifications or his experience and those types of things uh, for the job that he's running for. I, th I think it's a, it, it annoys me that some of the good questions get lost among all the rubbish that gets talked. I mean, I, I think that is a good question. Um, uh, and ABC did pick up on it. You know, he he was a church leader at the time and was obviously not ordaining black people. Did he agree with that? It's a good question. But then they ruin it by by talking about the fact that he kind of sidestepped the second coming thing, <laughs> which uh, yeah, I mean, it's such an irrelevant thing. It's like, it's, uh, I mean, it is an important part of Mormonism, but it's not something we talk about or worry about or think about that much. So, and I, I think that that is like a silly thing, whereas the, the blacks and the priesthood is a real thing. It's an interesting thing. And it, it annoys me that they kind of like blur it all together and kind of miss the opportunity to well, say the something way that the, that the way that they're spinning that is that he lied. So, so that is why the second coming thing is, is hyper-relevant in, in, in the way it's been built up, is that Romney just flat out lied. Can uh, I, can I which, speak on this? Go, go, go ahead and finish that, John. I was just going to say, which I don't think is, is a clear-cut case. I think there, there are a lot of other ways to understand what Romney said than to assume that he's you know, lying about what Mormons believe. Yeah, well, Tom, I mean, it was, your, um, it was you in the New York Times article that was saying that your, your listeners are incensed over this, so please. I know, and I wish you hadn't used that word because that's not at all accurate of how people feel. Um, I, you know, Ronan, you bring it up as being completely irrelevant, and I agree, and that's why out of the two interviews that I did with the interview with, with Good, Lori Goodstein, it was frustrating to me that that was what was used, because the bulk of my conversation with her was about uh, a Mormon assimilation into American culture, uh, and Mitt Romney as being uh, almost a litmus test for America, 
as well as media coverage. And um, I mean, I couldn't couldn't agree more that it was uh, it, it's completely peripheral. Now that being said, there's no question in my mind at all that Mitt fudged on that. And and I'll say that not just because uh, if you look at the way the question was worded, um, but Mitt has what I think is a fairly good template for dealing with with questions on Mormon doctrines that are unfamiliar to the American public that might be unpalatable or seem strange or kooky. And, uh, and if you go to YouTube and you look, uh, look up video clips, you'll see this pattern, and I think it's worked for him 90% of the time. He'll, he'll simply say, first, I'm not a spokesman for my church. The second thing he'll do is he'll downplay or he'll dismiss the peculiar, peculiar Mormon doctrine. And the third thing he'll do is he'll emphasize some commonality with mainstream Christianity. So, for example, on the Charlie Rose show, he was interviewed by, um, oh, she used to be on CNN, uh, Judy Woodruff. And she asked him about, well, yeah, I hear Mormons believe that men can become gods. And then his comment was, he, he followed that pattern, and then his last comment was, we also believe in a crazy thing about a guy in an ark and two of each kind of animal, which was funny and, and dismissed it very well. The, the problem he's getting into with this template is, is that second step, where he downplays, or in this case, completely dismisses the Mormon doctrine. And this, is the best, this template is the best the best approach he can give, because these questions, for the most part, maybe with the exception of blacks and the priesthood, are completely peripheral as to whether or not he is competent to be president of the United States. Nonetheless, people are skeptical, reasonably, about a religion that they're unfamiliar with, and because they don't know it, they want, it, they want to know for sure whether it's going to affect the office. And so uh, I, I think overall the templates worked well. I'd mentioned in the, in the, uh, the interview I did that he did trip up. There's no question about it on that George Stephanopoulos interview, which was an unfair question too. But he was. There's no question that he wasn't truthful. Any any as, responses as, to Tom? Yeah, as a purely purely speaking, as a Mormon, um, I I just I personally can't get mad at Mitt over that fudge. I think it was a fudge, and I, I would t completely admit that. But I'm thinking that, you know, if I was running for to be Prime Minister of the UK. And someone asked me, well, if they asked me even about the second coming, I'd be embarrassed considering that we don't talk about religion in public life in, in England. But <laughs> also, if they, if, if they said, do you, Mr. Head, believe that um, Jesus will set up the new Jerusalem in Missouri, <laughs> I would fudge. I would fudge. I would do anything I could not to answer that in the affirmative. So I'll forgive him. <laughs> you would lie. And you I do too. I, I, I think it was the best answer he could have given under the circumstances. There's no question about it. No, no, no. It's not well, the but best no, no. answer. Tom, Tom I, I don't think you're allowed to say he lied and... That was the best answer he could have given. I don't think you can say no. both of what? those. You can either say he was lying or that was the best answer he could give. Because a lie isn't ever the best answer. I agree. I mean, come on. I agree. Um, uh, I, uh, with regard to Jesus coming to the Mount of Olives or Jesus coming to the New, the New Jerusalem in the Americas, I mean, to the rational mind, both of those are completely insane. Both of those are out outlandish claims that could never be empirically proven. They're entirely based on faith, and it's unclear why a belief that Jesus is going to appear at the Mount of Olives is a valid faith claim, 
and Jesus appearing at the New Jerusalem is an invalid faith claim. Well, it's because um, it's, it's because it, it's what it's how it plays with evangelicals. It it basically distances him from evangelicals, and that's what would make him concerned about it. Now, Actually, the, what the I, Stephan, the, the Stephanopoulos interview, it it he prefaced that question by saying, by talking about um, the Muslim world, and saying that you know, right, right. You know, obviously that's a sensitive issue, and you're saying that America is the great, you know, chosen country, and that the, you know, the. Uh, so it, it's also, in 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 that light, that it should be should be thought but, about. But Romney's not worried about the Muslim vote, but I think he is worried about the evangelical vote, right? Well, of course, yeah. John, yeah, John, were you going to say something? Oh, John, and then Tom. Okay. Well, I was going to say I actually agree with uh, Tom's second part of his formulation, that that was the best answer that Mitt could have given in that situation. I agree with that. Personally, I don't think that Mitt Romney was lying. I think he's an honest person. We, we know that Mitt, Mitt Romney knows that Mormons believe that Jesus will come to the American continent after he appears at the Mount of Olives. I mean, uh, Romney, I really don't think Romney would ever claim that's not going to happen, but that's the way that, that the question was posed framed it as an either-or, or in other words, as something that's exclusive. Don't Mormons believe that Jesus will come to America and not to the Mount of Olives? Is, is really what George was saying, George Stephanopoulos. And Romney had to give an answer in just a few seconds that rebutted the sort of inference that that question was undoubtedly bringing up in people's mind. Which sure. is exactly what I just stated. And so um, when he answered, you know, it is the, he did answer the best way possible. Uh, okay, maybe there was a little hyperbole. Maybe, maybe by saying, that is not a doctrine of my church, he could have omitted that sentence, um, but still said, we believe just like every other Christian that Jesus will appear at the Mount of Olives at his second coming. If he had put a full stop there, then... I, I don't know, maybe Tom wouldn't say that he was lying. Tom, well, and, that's, and this is where John and I completely depart on this. Uh, you know, I read the question that George Stephanopoulos actually asked, and, and John reads a question that he intended to ask, with, that is, with all due respect, completely creative speculation. It was, it was not a, a mutually exclusive question of, um, of the Mount of Olives versus Missouri, but if Mormons believed that Christ was going to be coming to Missouri at the second coming. And that was literally the question that was asked. And the answer that was given was, uh, that does not happen to be a, a doctrine in my church. And I don't know how anybody, the only way you can look at that and say that Mitt Romney's not lying is pretend to pretend that George Stephanopoulos asked a different question than he did. If he had asked the question that John thinks that he asked, then no, it's obviously not a lie. But so the question that he asked if you go look at it, is do you believe that? Not in a mutually exclusive way, but do you simply believe that Jesus will be coming to Missouri? So uh, and, and, that's, and that's the crux of it. Now, that being said, uh, and I'll go back to it. A lie was the best uh, possible situation, the good answer he could have given there, because the question was uh, poorly worded, it was contorted, and it was completely peripheral to uh, Romney's candidacy. And, uh, there, you know, look at the options he has. He can offer a, a, 
explanation of Mormon doctrine, which he obviously can't do in a few seconds, as John said. He can be evasive about it, which is going, only going to uh, uh, make people think that he's covering something up, which you never can do as a politician. That's an absolute not an option. Or he can fudge. And he, so what he did was he went to what he knew. He went to that template I talked about, and he did his best with it, and it didn't work. Well, what if one it, of the few times it didn't work. What if he was just caught off guard? What if he just wasn't prepared and just like I do and you do, just fumbled? Yeah, I think he was. So that's he, different no than question. fudging, that's though. That's exactly what happened. But that's different and than that's fudging. That's why I, I, I big of a deal. But that's different than fudging. Fudging shows an, it, it sort of indicates intent. Fumbling just means he, he goofed it. He, he, he fumbled through his, uh, his template. I mean, he, he, you go look at the way he answers questions on odd Mormon doctrines. There's, I'm not a spokesman for my church, downplay or dismiss the Mormon part, emphasize commonality with, with mainstream Christianity. And it's worked almost all the time. This time it didn't. So Ronan and John, what do you guys think about the fumble option instead of the deceive option? Well, I think it's um, a very good out for Romney. I mean, you're, you're being very generous to him. I think it's plausible, you know, maybe... I can, you know, envision that when he's, that question is put to him, you know, all he hears is, this guy is saying that I don't believe Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. And so he answers, of course I believe he's coming to Jerusalem. Mormons believe that. Um, yeah, he fudged. You, you say fudged, Ronan. So do you guys think that he prepared, like he was in the war room with his, with his uh, guys and gals, and that and the, this is a question they anticipated and that he had one ready? Do either any of you think that he anticipated this question? I don't Nobody think that. he anticipates these types of questions. There's no question about it. So Ron, yeah, I don't think he could have anticipated a question like that. Okay. It was a very creative question by Stephanopoulos. It's actually quite a good question. It's an unfair question. But as Ronan was alluding to at the beginning of our discussion, the substance behind that question is actually quite interesting and could lead to some very fun academic discussion about the issue, um, about, you know, how is that going to play in the Muslim world. But I, I think, you know, it, going back, it just Romney only had a few seconds to dispel something that was going to make him look really, really weird. Right. More, you know, more weird than Mormons really are. Because... <laughs> Mormons don't believe that Jesus will come just to the to America. They believe he'll come to Jerusalem as well. So right. we do have that belief in common with with traditional Christians, um, but we just uh, believe additional strange stuff. Well, let, let me just jump in real quick, and and I want to follow up on Ron Ronan and Tom's assertion that. Uh, it's the right thing to do for LDS politicians to sometimes knowingly lie. Ronan, can you try and defend that a little bit more? And then, Tom, do you want to follow up and then let John Fowles and I try and eviscerate you both? Well, you see, I don't think that fudge equals lie. Oh, okay. What do you mean I by fudge, then? Well, fudge is simply that he, you know, he's asked a question and he kind of, like, doesn't quite answer it. Um, the politicians do this all the time, and if if I hate to sound really cynical, but if Mormon politicians weren't also able to play the game to a certain extent, and that is to answer the questions they wanted to be posed rather than the one that actually was posed, then no Mormon would ever achieve office. I think that's so, so, I, so. You don't mean lie. You just mean don't answer the question or or fumble it or be evasive and don't directly answer it that's what you mean by well, he, he, what what you know he's saying 
in his mind, the way to get around it is to simply say, Mormons believe that Jesus Christ will come to the Mount of Olives, period. And, okay, the question wasn't exactly asking him that, but the statement he made was kind of true, uh, apart from the, the, the that's not Mormon doctrine part. But, I mean, we, we all say stuff at the spur of the moment, which perhaps we would regret. So I, I'm going to give him a pass. Tom, do you want to follow up, or do you just agree with what we're going to say? i, I got to say, too, I'm going to give him a pass, too, and I want to reiterate my frustration that that my quote has sparked such a <laughs> hair-splitting discussion. Um, but that being said, um, I completely agree with Ronan. Uh, anybody who's running for president, anybody who was even a senator of the United States, has told some fantastic lies. And that includes Mormon politicians. Aren't you? My good friend and... What's that? Aren't you exempting Orrin Hatch from that statement? Or, Orrin Hatch has told some fantastic lies. <laughs> Tom. <laughs> I, like I think he's done a great job for senator for Utah. Tom. I like Harry Reid, too. Tom. He represents, I think Harry Reid does a great job of representing the church and Utah State really well. Do you think that Harry Reid has told big lies? Um, I, think, I can think at times he's exaggerated for certain. Yeah. But nonetheless, I think he's done an uh, overall great job. It's how the game is played. And, uh, and, uh, and that's, it's an unfortunate reality, but it's a reality in part created by inconsistent and contradictory uh, demands by the public as constituents. But that's a whole, no, that's a whole political discussion. So, um, so I would say, yeah, that he lied. But again, I think it was the best option he could have had. Look at the options he had. He can... He can blow it off and, and refuse to answer, be evasive, like he's covering something up, which is only going to raise suspicion on that and other questions. He can try to explain it, which will be an utter failure because they're not going to give him the time to explain it. Or he can um, de-emphasize the Mormon part and emphasize the common Christianity part. And so uh, in this case, I, I have to say he did the best he could, and it didn't work out as, as well as it, he probably wanted to, but he, I, I, th- I think his template is wonderful. I think it works really well. John, any reaction to Ronan and, and Tom before I jump in? I would only say that I, I agree that he, he gave a great answer when that question was posed to him. Um, my views just differ on whether he lied or not. I, I don't believe it was a lie, um, but I do you, understand. That's because you was asking a different question that he actually asked. <laughs> this, and, and, and this was part of my frustration when the article came out. I, mean, I, I read your blog, John. And all of a sudden, uh, it's being treated as a mutually exclusive question for my quotes, which I, I don't know how anybody would get this as being a mutually exclusive option of Mount of Olives versus Missouri, and that somehow my listeners or myself were in the dark as to whether Christ was coming to the Mount of Olives. That was really frustrating. Well, the, the New York Times article probably didn't do a great job of presenting what your, your listeners' views were. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I was off base. Probably that's the case. But I just think Mitt Romney's an honest person, and I don't think he was lying. You know, maybe he was. Maybe he screwed up. Maybe he just made a mistake. He, but. he screwed up. I, I think he's an honest person too. And again, that was a, an awful position he was put in. He had a split second, like you said, John, to respond. I think he did the best he possibly could have done. I think that template. If you look at, like, if you go to the YouTube clips over and over and over again, it's worked. And that time, it didn't work perfectly. That's the one time. So let me let me interject uh, a bit of a new um, 
t- conversation here, and, and this may strike some of you as a little bit controversial, but I, I just have to ask it. Here, I'll start with the, the premise. Could it be that Romney is following the example of what church leaders have had to do over the past 150 years? And let me just give you a couple examples. In, in the late years in Nauvoo, when Joseph Smith was asked explicitly by press whether he was practicing polygamy, we all know his famous response, which is something like, I, I, I've, have any of you ever seen me with more than one wife? I only, you know, it was just sort of this Clinton-esque, hey, have you ever seen me with anyone other than Emma? I, I don't know of any other wife that you've seen me with than Emma. It was a way of, I guess in, in Tom's words, you could argue fudging, and you guys can correct me on the history. Another example is when we, we did the manifesto in 1890. We did this sort of document that made it sound like we were really serious about stopping polygamy, but it really wasn't another 15 years where we stopped it and apostles and first presidency were involved in in other plural marriages after the manifesto. We all know that that's true. And if we look at today, when Larry King interviews Gordon B. Hinckley and says, is polygamy doctrinal, even though one, section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants has not been repealed, even though spiritual polygamy marriages are still performed in temples today, the answer was, for probably the exact same reasons Tom explained for Mitt Romney, the best thing that Gordon B. Hinckley could do was fudge and say polygamy is not doctrinal, just like when Time asked him about, was God once a man? Gordon B. Hinckley's response was, um, I don't know that we teach it. I don't know that we emphasize it. So this isn't about criticizing the brethren. I don't. I hold the brethren in compassion because I think their job may even be harder than Mitt Romney's or, or regular politicians. But can we all be willing to just discuss whether Romney's simply following the example of of LDS church leadership in tough media situations? I'll start with Ronan. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I will say that there, it, it's certainly a pattern in the church that we tend to emphasize what is similar about our beliefs with, with Christ, you know, comparing them to Christianity, and that we tend to de-emphasize what is not similar and what is strange. We, we do this for public relations reasons. We do it for um, missionary reasons. We're, we were all, if we served missions, we were taught to find common beliefs and whatever. And so it, to the extent that we do that, and we do, we often are less than candid occasionally about our, um, about our beliefs. Um, but uh, that, that's all I'm going to say. Okay, that, that's fair. Uh, John Fowles, what do you think? Well, I would say that, that, I mean, Romney's not doing that. I mean, Romney... In, in his campaign for president of the United States is not proselytizing for the church, and he should not be made into a representative of the church um, in that bid. And when he gets posed questions about Mormonism, I mean, he's just trying to deflect those questions because they have nothing to do with his platform or his cop- competency as, um, an exe- as an executive and his in his past experiences, and so he wants those questions to go away, and he just tries to deflect them with, you know, short answers that that show how much relevance they have, the questions have to his campaign. So I would say he's not he's not doing that. He's just he's just trying not to focus on that. Period, on on his religion at all. Or I, I should say on 
on the doctrines of his religion. I mean, the fact that he is religious, um, he feels like he needs to emphasize because a lot of people want a president who is religious, and he is religious. So, you know, he's emphasizing that fact. He's in a difficult position because he wants to emphasize that he is religious, but he doesn't want to talk about the doctrines of his religion because they're irrelevant. Well, are they irrelevant to Southern Baptists and Evangelicals, though? I mean, what if, what if, no. to, what if, to, what if to an Evangelical, your belief in the nature of God is actually an important component of your voting criteria? Is it, is it insensitive uh, or non-multicultural for us to allow for that actually being material? Um, well, I think it is material to a lot of a lot of Baptists or to a lot of Evangelicals. I, I just don't see how it, it bears on his capacity or to his ability to serve in the executive role. And I think that's the tack he's taking as well. But you would agree that some may disagree with you on that and maybe even yeah. acknowledge their right to feel that way. What, John, what about, sure. what about the church's just broader dilemma in PR for the church? Do you have any thoughts on that? Or do you, did I, was my history wrong when I went through that litany? And do you, or do, my, you, do you see it differently? My personal views, I, I've had some fun and long discussions with Ronan about this in the past, but I just think we put far too much emphasis on PR in the church, and we, sh- we shouldn't do that. We should just be ourselves and not try to, you know, explain everything to everyone and just be weird. We, we are weird. So why, why do we need to tell ourselves that we're not weird Hmm, interesting. Well, that, that's a candid, respectable uh, response, in my opinion. Tom, what do you think? I actually agree with John uh, on that. You know, one of the great things about being Mormon is being peculiar, and sometimes it makes me sad the way we uh, we de-emphasize things because we're embarrassed about them. So first thing we do is we de-emphasize them, and then we kind of ignore them, and then sometimes they just go away completely. Like, the doctrine of rebaptism. We we don't do that anymore, and I bet a lot of members don't even know that it was done or what the purpose of that was. And I think it's part of uh, you know balancing that as part of of uh, having the best of both worlds. Uh, as Mormons, we want really bad for the rest of the world, the rest of American culture to accept us, but at the same time, we want to remain distinctive. And sometimes that just simply isn't possible. So we've got to choose one or the other at, at times. And uh, and. And uh, I just, I just, it just makes me sad when people de-emphasize things or simply dismiss them in the sake of expediency. Right. Well, that, that's and, and, oh, and, and, and go ahead. No, no, please. No, I was just going to say. And as far as is Mitt patterning after you know leaders in the past, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a, there's certain certainly some similarities there um, in, in balancing. That uh, that pendulum of distinctiveness and assimilation that uh, Armin Moss talks about a lot, and I don't know that they're exactly the same for that reason. Because the church is interested in maintaining that tension, and Mitt Romney's um, objective is, is the, the church is interested in maintaining that tension between assimilation and distinctiveness for the purpose of perpet- uh, perpetuating the institution. While Mitt Romney's intention is to be elected president of the United States, which is totally different. His his objective in speaking and answering these questions is not to necessarily to preserve uh, uh, Mormonism institutionally, but to get elected president. And I can say just by the conversations I've had with people who um, work inside the church and inter- interact with the brethren, 
a lot of people in the disaffected Mormon underground or, you know, the Internet sites that are sort of uh, struggling or frustrated at the church, there are these claims that the, the what governs the behavior of the PR of the church is a motivation to hide or deceive. And every person that I know who's interacted with the brethren, their feedback to me is no. Their only concern is saving souls. And if it helps Mr. and Mrs. Brother and Sister Smith uh, raise a better family, have a more successful marriage, they're going to they're gonna make the decision that helps that family. And if there's another decision that's going to hurt Brother and Sister Smith, they're going to do whatever they can to keep that from happening. And so that's just my two cents on what motivates the brethren and, and what they try and do. I think we'd all agree that politicians and church PR have really, really hard jobs. Agreed? Yeah. John, the only thing I'd add to that is sometimes I think there there are different situations that arise when very noble ends come about by less than forthright means. And that's where I think the, 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 the crux of your question comes from. Yeah, that's true. Would well, you say uh, that's basically what you're asking? Sure. Uh, uh, Ronan or John? Yeah, on, the, on, on this question of uh, peculiar people and the tension we have in being peculiar but wanting to be loved, let me give you a kind of a European perspective on this um, So, uh, and try to tie it with Mitt Romney. I uh, grew up in the church in England. I served my mission in Austria. I now live in Austria. So, you know, I, it's not that I speak for all European Mormons, but I have a certain sense, I think, of what people think. And right now, the, the feeling among church members about Romney, well, right now, most people don't have an opinion or haven't heard of him, right? It's not even on the radar, really, although it does get in the British press quite often. So right. people who pay attention to this stuff will be aware of it. But um, to the extent that people are aware of it, I think 90% are extremely excited about the possibility of uh, President Romney, or at least him getting to be the candidate and therefore getting a lot of exposure, because across Europe, um, the sense is that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a strange cult. Um, I, I know people think like that in America, but at least in America you don't have situations like you have in Belgium where we're on like the cult watch list. <laughs> and where the, the, the feeling about Mormons is that they're polygamous, they're weird, they're a cult, they're dangerous, that would go away to a certain extent or would at least be softened if you have a, the President of the United States who is a Mormon. Because whatever else you think about the guy, he has to be... Cer certainly Mitt Romney is a competent guy, he's a likable fellow, and the fact that he's Mormon would be really helpful. And, and some of the... Uh, European LDS that I've spoken to are really excited about the prospect because, you know, he comes on a state visit to Belgium. Very difficult for the Belgian government, therefore, to continue to have this ridiculous um, policy in place. So 90% of European Mormons are very excited about a Romney presidency. Uh, the other 10% are a little worried that his more strident conservative views will be at odds with their own political thoughts but those are just outliers I think like myself you know who, <laughs> who cringes when he says that he wants to double Guantanamo and um, certainly certainly European Mormons are less anti-American than their their compatriots and are possibly slightly more conservative than their compatriots but a conservative European Mormon is a Democrat on the US scale 
And so um, he, if he were the Guantanamo president, that might cause a little friction and, and uh, trouble. But mostly people are excited. Yeah, I have to agree. That's, that's my biggest fear, Ronan, is that the last thing I want is for the first Mormon president uh, to be the guy who does a Lyndon B. Johnson with the war and yeah. doubles our commitment to the war or e even further sticks us into the quagmire. If, if Iraq's going to be as nasty as many of us sort of predict, I'd rather save the Mormon president for another decade or two until we don't have this nasty war to hang on the Mormon guy. Well, uh, here's, the, here's the thing that I want you to just imagine. I've just told you that I think that 90% of us are excited about the prospect. But if I, if I imagine, if George W. Bush was a Mormon, then that 90% number would would be whittled away quite rapidly and would perhaps be a problem. But the question is, how much does the just the fact that he's Mormon balance out the fact that he might be unpopular politically? I, I had no idea how that would play out. I think, however, that Romney would will be better than Bush, but we don't want to talk politics. I don't know that he will. I'll be honest. Because, because uh, and, and right now, obviously, he's campaigning to the hard right and to the base of the Republican Party, which is very much defined by religion, which is, in my opinion, created collateral damage to civil liberties and uh, U.S. foreign policy in ways that are going to take years and years and years to uh, rebuild. And uh, he really hasn't broken with Bush on a lot of policies. And that worries me. I'm not worried that he's going to get pinned just because he's the guy that shows up at the wrong time. I'm worried that he's going to get pinned with uh, a lot of blame for perpetuating a lot of the awful um, policies of the Bush administration in terms of uh, human rights violations, Guantanamo Bay, or foreign policy. That's, that's more of my worry. I, I think if his policies were different, he's had got more than enough capability to uh, right the wrongs that have been done. My theory is, is he's going to perpetrate, perpetrate the wrongs that have been done and perpetuate them. But don't you think that some of the some of these things he says, you know, that that the, we need to double Guantanamo and all that stuff. These are just applause lines. I mean, uh, I I don't know whether he really believes it. And of course, that's his big problem, right? I mean, uh, how how concerned yeah, I, is, is he really? But I I don't think he. Well, I don't know. I just think he he's certainly going to be more competent. Let's let's get John Fowles in here on this because we've got a lot of uh, concerns about Romney. Uh, and, and, John, we're not pinning you as the pro-Romney guy, but do you have any other any thoughts you want to inject on this point? Well, my, my view is that Romney will surely be more competent than George W. Bush. He has been his entire life until now. I don't see why that would change just because Mitt Romney becomes president of the United States, that suddenly he's as incompetent as George Bush, um, or worse. That doesn't make any sense at all. Um, Mitt Romney functions very well in an executive capacity. He has proven a success record in those roles in the past, and um, those have been political roles. And, you know, a governor is an executive, um, and being in charge of the Salt Lake Olympics is a quasi-political role as well. Um, and anyway... I agree, though. Having said that, he will be competent. I think he will. And I don't think he'll make those mistakes. Um, but if he does pursue the same 
policies as the Bush administration, that would be disastrous for the church, in my opinion, um, because it wouldn't just be Romney the incompetent or Romney the religious cowboy. It would be Romney the cultist Mormon. Um, and that's <laughs> all, that's the only headlines you would see in the Belgian press, the German press, the Austrian press, the British press. Uh, recently here in, in London, there's been numerous stories in the press about two women in London or somewhere who uh, abused their children. And um, these women happen to be Mormon. And that was, that's what the headline said. And that's what the first paragraph of the, the Times article said. Two Mormon women convicted of child abuse and list all the horrible things they did. But the fact that they were Mormon had absolutely nothing at all to do with the abuse. And if that had been any other religion, that there's a good chance that the news article simply would not have mentioned their, that they were Anglicans. Two Anglican women abused children. I mean, it just wouldn't be a headline or it wouldn't be newsworthy. Um, and that's just the tiniest example of what would happen. And so, you know, given the fact that I, I, I'm enthusiastic about Romney just because I think he's a really good person, um, it's exciting for me to see a Latter-day Saint achieving high levels in his career and being successful in the things that he does um, and representing the church well. Despite the fact that that's exciting for me, you know, I actually join the view that you've articulated, John, uh, that, you know, it might be better to have a Mormon president later uh, when the Iraq war is not happening. So, I mean, you know, any mistake that, that, that the president makes if it's a Mormon president during this Iraq war or during some of these issues with Guantanamo Bay and things like that, you know, it's just going to be attributed to he's a Mormon, so, and that'll be bad for the church, even though the church has nothing to do with, you know, what Romney does with Guantanamo Bay or the Iraq war. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm conflicted. I'm very conflicted about the issue. Um, you know, one side of me wants Romney to achieve this, and the other side cringes because even though I don't think he'll make those same mistakes, I think it's, it's likely that things won't go well with Iraq. He's not in, the President of the United States is not in full control of what happens there, no matter what policies are pursued. And so there's always a chance that, you know, ironically, having an ultra-successful Mormon president or having an ultra-successful Mormon who becomes a president could actually backfire and become a real... Uh, hindrance for the church abroad. I'm talking, I'm, all of this that I've said is in relation to abroad, um, in Europe particularly. Uh, why is it, why isn't too. that also true domestically, though? Why is it any different domestically? Well, I just don't know that people domestically would say, oh, he's a Mormon, and that's why. Oh, okay. Um, it seems oh, like... I think they would. Do you think it would, Tom? The, keep, keep going, Tom. I, I, you know, maybe that would, maybe that would, but I, I just, I'm thinking specifically of, of what Ronan has broached in his, in his topic of European Latter-day Saints. I mean, don't forget, I and, live in Europe as well. And forget, forget Europe for a moment. I mean, I mean, there's like one or two Mormons in Europe. Think about Latin America, where the level of anti-Americanism is, I think, is more militant. And um, from what I hear, you know, you, you go to a testimony meeting and you will, you will hear anti-American stuff, plus or pro-American stuff, depending on, you know, which side of the aisle people sit in church at the time. So, right, I that mean, can this, be this very is volatile. Just this yeah. is Latin America, too, for sure. 
Well, let me just put one, one final cap on, on what I've said so far, and that is that one area that I'm extremely disappointed about with what Romney has done so far is his anti-France comments. I think, if anything, he, the, the intelligent uh, course that he should be taking is a pro-France course. Um, you know, by, by saying nice things about France, that's really not going to alienate any right-wing voters in the United States. I really don't think that they would choose not to vote for him in the primary just because he said, you know, France is great. I liked France. I lived in France. And I think it's, it's, he has made some anti-France comments that, you know, they just sound dumb in the media. And I would hope that he would have better feelings about France after having served a mission there. So I don't think he's representing that well. And that could go better. And that's, something that could become a danger further into his campaign and alienate some, some people here in Europe. Is he still doing that, or did he stop very early on? I haven't heard that in a while, but I'm not following it super closely. I think there's been a relatively recent one, the France marriage thing, the seven-year marriage contract thing. Um, was not too long ago. Yeah, that was like a couple of weeks ago, or, or months. A uh, month or two ago. Yeah, that, you know, the, okay, so... I'll just jump in, and Tom, I want to make sure and get you in if you have some other final thoughts. We, we should be wrapping up soon, okay. but I have a couple of concerns. One is just this notion of class. You know, um, I don't want to say he's not a classy person, but I've spent a lot of time, because I work at MIT, I've spent a lot of time in Boston, and the people in Boston feel really just angry and they just feel upset at Romney that here he was, their governor. He came to them saying that he believed what they believed, uh, wanting to fix the state, and they feel absolutely raped and abused, the people that I've spoken with. They feel like he came in, they made him governor, and then two years before his election, he started basically turning his ideology and then openly criticizing Massachusetts as like this poster child for evil and liberalism. That doesn't strike me as classy, and I feel the same way about France. I talk about Guatemala with, you know, a soft heart because I served there. And it just seems so strange for me that he could be so crass about France after having served a mission there. So the class thing bothers me a bit. The second thing that bothered me is just, you know, I was listening to Meet the Press and Left, Right, and Center. And I was listening to two or three talk shows. And every single one of them, these pundits who are not LDS, who are just sort of talking about the Romney candidacy generally, the question that all of them were asking last week, and this was right before I did the New York Times interview, the question that all of them were asking was, can we believe a word this guy Romney is saying? And, and I would have thought, the way that I think of Mormons and the way that I want people to think of Mormons is that Mormons will be tagged with weirdness, but at least they won't have to worry about honesty and integrity and believability. I thought that that would be the asset but somehow Romney not only is bringing the weirdness along, but nobody seems to want to believe a word he's saying. And I don't, I, I don't think he's a lying guy, but I just wish that he could handle things in a way to where his credibility wasn't so much in question. Because I do think that that, I don't know, has an impact on us and us on him, etc. So those are some of the things that, that, that worry me most about Romney. Tom, why don't I give you the last word before we uh, wrap up? Okay. Well, I wanted to tell that CNN story, John. Go for it. Um, so John mentioned earlier that, uh, well, Tuesday I was really in stress. I'll back this up because I had the Mormon blogs like John's, uh, creating this 
this uh, mutually exclusive argument of not evolves versus Missouri, which, uh, again, is nowhere in any of my quotes. I don't know how that even evolved. And then I had, uh, thankfully, people here in the Valley and people in the Blog Hive, which is the Utah political blogging community, just sending me emails and kudos and I uh, thought it was a good interview. And then, uh, like, Juan Ket uh, had, and then other national blogs were kind of joking about the the doctrine of Jesus in Missouri, which was disappointing, but people were unfamiliar with it, so that just goes with the territory. Um, but anyway, so I got, a, I got an email from uh, MSNBC and CNN, and CNN followed up, and they did several uh, phone conversations with me, and they said, we want you to come on and talk about Mitt Romney. And I said, well, I'm a little bit nervous because... Um, you know, the, out of two hours of an interview I did with the New York Times, the two things that were taken out were things that were really peripheral and not that important, and, and the reaction that people have had is one that I'm not really happy with, uh, especially, you know, among Mormons and then uh, on the broader blogging community. And so we, we had several phone conversations, and I really pressed the producer as to what the segment would be, who would be on it, what specifically would be discussed, and the, that specificity was never offered. Uh, on Tuesday, and we probably had uh, three conversations on Tuesday. We had a couple more on Wednesday, and finally she got down to it and said, okay, here's what we want you to do. We want you to come on CNN. We want you to talk about how Mitt Romney has been lying on doctrine and how Mormons are enraged with him over lying about it. And I said, look, he, like I've discussed with you guys, he's done his best to answer these questions. He tripped up a couple times. Mormons are not angry with him. Uh, and and she said, well, but but they have to be angry with him, and they had they had decided what they wanted me to say and the angle they wanted me to take before I even went on. They wanted me to go on CNN, and I and I I turned them down because of that. They really really wanted that angle. That's what they wanted badly. Anyway, that's, yeah. was that that was the the experience with CNN. It was eye opening to me because I I am a talk show host, but it's just in Logan, so. Uh, to get that kind of insight on on the national media was interesting. That's they weren't. I offered to, to give them an interview on Mitt Romney, but they didn't want just a regular interview. They wanted me to go on and, and say what they wanted. They wanted me to say. Yeah, media media is tricky. That's the one lesson I've learned the past few weeks is that it's not to be taken lightly. Media is a tricky business to be engaged with. Yeah. Anyway, that's. That's basically one more thing I want to add, John, too. Please. Uh, about about how it could damage the church domestically. If you look at the way George W. Bush in 2000 and 2004 used um, churches for infrastructure uh, and also as, as ways to uh, reach people directly by um, infusing faith in politics, uh, there, I, I believe in America now there's a tremendous resentment among those that aren't religious towards Christianity in a way that didn't exist before. People, people attribute a lot of the problems uh, that we have to Christianity in general because of what George W. Bush has done. Now, I blame George W. Bush. I don't blame Christianity. But there's been a damage done there that's going to take a long time to recover, and that, is, that it continues to be the nature of the Republican Party, and that is my fear of what it would do to the Church, a similar resentment. The people would associate torture in Guantanamo Bay with Mormonism, which would be totally unfair, and that would break my heart if that happened. Yeah, well, that's um, that's that's good stuff, Tom. Uh, thanks for that. Thanks for that stuff. We'll go ahead and count that as your sort of uh, vignette or comment for the week, if that's okay. Is that all right? Absolutely. All right. Well, let's uh, let's turn the time over now. It's it's time for our famed end of show. 
where each of our panelists gives a comment or a thought. Tom's already given his. Let's turn it over to Ronan to give us some, some parting thoughts. Okay, completely um, not having nothing to do with Mitt Romney, thankfully. Um, I, a couple of friends of mine and, uh, and myself, we, last year we decided we wanted to set up a Mormon studies group in Europe. And it was just a couple of graduate students over email trying to like build up some kind of like you know network of people in Europe who do Mormon studies stuff, and this all snowballed into a website, and then people signed up, and then I'm happy to report then in, that in August we will be having our inaugural conference, the European Mormon Studies Association. We're, we're at the University of Worcester, and we have. Ahmed Moss is coming to give the keynote speech. We've got Douglas Davies coming down from the University of Durham. We've got various other English and European people and some BYU professors too. So we're very excited. And if anyone wants to know anything else, it's euromormonstudies.com. Thank you. And, and Ronan, you once, we once had a little talk about maybe doing some Mormon stories episodes uh, on the Saints in Europe. Are we still down for that? Anytime, man. All right, so I'll get this women's series done, and then we'll turn to Europe. How's that? Sounds good. All right. Well, John Fowles, what's your parting thoughts? Well, I would just say, and, and this will return to the Romney theme. Sorry, Ronan. No problem. Um, but uh, a few weeks ago, I heard uh, a couple of LDS senators um, give talks or speeches, you might call them, in, in London, um, to an LDS audience, and uh, it was Senator Orrin Hatch and Senator Gordon Smith. Now, Senator Orrin Hatch uh, included in his words uh, a rather lengthy segment on Mitt Romney and the treatment he was getting in the media. And, you know, the view he took was sort of um, Mitt Romney is so highly qualified that they, they can't find anything to criticize, and so they're criticizing his faith. I thought that was kind of an extremist position. I wouldn't agree with, with Orrin Hatch's view on that, on that part, but I do think that it is um, interesting and perhaps unfair that um, in the media coverage, uh, Romney is being made into a representative um, of the Mormon faith uh, rather than simply a candidate for the office of the President of the United States. Um, and I, I, I just can't envision, really, other candidates being asked about doctrines of their religion. I can see them maybe being asked about if they're religious and what their religion means to them. But to explain doctrines of their religion, it seems like it should be out of bounds uh, in media questions uh, during this campaign or perhaps um, not seen as relevant or helpful. And uh, I, I acknowledge that there are some voters who perhaps, for them, that is the par paramount concern, uh, that Romney is a Mormon. But, you know, I think that he has other qualifications and other competencies that could be focused on, and maybe they should be. And that's all I would say about that. Great. Thanks, John. Well, thanks, Ronan and, and Tom. I, I, I'll, I'll just give my parting thoughts, and this will be... A purely a statistical thing, but I just wanted to make the pleasant announcement, and this will be news to all three of you, or uh, that uh, Mormon Matters uh, podcast, the the inaugural episode has been downloaded 700 times, and so that's a that's a pretty fast and, and rapid velocity for a brand new podcast with only one episode. So I just wanted to thank all the listeners 
who uh, helped make that first episode so successful and who are listening to this one. I want to thank all the great panelists, past, present, and future, uh, for coming on Mormon Matters. Let me just close by uh, reminding you that you can email us at mormonmatters at gmail.com. You can check out our website and our blog at uh, mormonmatters.org if you'd like. Please tell your friends about us. Uh, We appreciate so much you're listening. And again, uh, Ronan, John Fowles, and Tom Grover, thank you so much for coming on Mormon Matters today. Thanks a lot. Thanks, John. Okay, thank you. All right, we'll see you guys soon. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye, good night. Today's music has been brought to you by Sky Pixton. You can find Sky Pixton's music at skypixton.com. That's S-K-Y-E-P-I-X-T-O-N.com. Thanks a lot, Sky. Don't show.